Hello and welcome to another joint episode of the Ottoman History Podcast and the Southeast Passage. I'm Andreas Guidi and today I'm going to discuss with you a new edited volume which is fresh off the press and is entitled Kemalism, Transnational Politics in the Post-Ottoman World, which was published in 2018 by Ibi Torres and Bloomsbury. In order to um, introduce you to this work, I'm here with the three editors, uh, Nathalie Clayer, Fabio Giomi and Emmanuel Schurek. Uh, they are three pillars of the CETOBAC, the Centre uh, de Tuturc Ottoman Balkanique et Centre Asiatique, here in Paris. And uh, you probably might already know them because they have already been guests of uh, the Ottoman History Podcast or the Southeast Passage or both our podcasts. So let me introduce you to our guest, starting with Nathalie Clayer, who is professor at the École des Hautes Études en Sciences Sociales in Paris and a researcher at the CNRS. Uh, Nathalie uh, is an expert in questions such as Albanian nationalism, religious institutions and state and society building in uh, the Balkans and in Turkey, uh, mostly in the 19th and the 20th century. Uh, so Nathalie, welcome to our podcast. Thank you very much. I'm very happy to be with you today. And next is Fabio, Fabio Giomi, who is a researcher at the CNRS, and he's a specialist of uh, gender history and also the history of voluntary associations. And both these topics are also uh, at the center of his uh, monograph in print right now. So Fabio, uh, welcome to the podcast. And maybe if you want to say a, a few words about this uh, uh, upcoming publication. Uh, yeah, first of all, thank you for having me here. Uh, yeah, correct. Um, my manuscript, uh, the tentative title is uh, Making Muslim Women European Voluntary Associations, Gender and Islam in Post-Ottoman Bosnia is currently uh, under peer review at Central European University Press. So, finger crossed. Yeah, we're looking forward to it. Yeah. Uh, me too, believe me. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, last but not least, uh, Emmanuel Schurek, who is a maître de conférence, so basically assistant professor at the OHSS here in Paris. He has been uh, working and he has published widely on uh, topics such as uh, the language reform uh, in Turkey, uh, Orientalism uh, as uh, a discipline, and also the entangled cultural history of uh, France and uh, Turkey, or French uh, and Turks. So Emmanuel, also uh, welcome to our podcast. Thank you very much. Okay, so all the aspects that I have been listening will be uh, quite relevant for our discussion today, but I would start with the very title of uh, uh, the book. So, Kemalism. Um, most of our listeners might somehow relate it to the history of Turkey at some point in time. So it could be the very establishment of a republican regime after the dissolution of the Ottoman Empire or to even to a political polarization that lingers on um, until today. At the same time, of course, when we talk of Kemalism, we also have to think of other isms uh, related to one state uh, leader or head of state. Uh, for example, we have Stalinism, we have Titoism, Peronism, Frankism, uh, Chavism, uh, and the like. So indeed, it seems to be an object that is difficult to situate. And maybe uh, we can start by saying a few words about how to embed Kemalism, both in historiography and in uh, history. Correct, yes. Um, indeed, Kemalism is a tricky concept. Um, and and uh, there is a high risk of confusion when you manipulate this kind of, uh, of words. 
It has an extremely wide range of meanings, uh, both in Turkish and in many other languages, both in historical sources and in scholarly literature that use this word. Um, just consider this. The term, uh, as you said, may casually refer to at least three distinct uh, orders of realities. Um, a party affiliation, as related to the Cumhuriyet Hark Partisi, uh, the Republican People's Party, which is uh, precisely called also the Kemalist Party. But then also a style of government uh, related to interwar Turkey or single-party Turkey, which is often uh, deemed pragmatic in a scholarly literature. But then also it can be uh, used to name a set of uh, cultural, if not ideological, affinities or socio-cultural preferences. Um, think, for instance, of the uh, notion of Kemalist bourgeoisie or uh, the white Turks in more uh, derogatory terms, which then uh, goes towards uh, cultural or even social history of Turkey. So you're right, the word is extremely diverse and it's also an enduring concept. Um, what we have found out uh, with the help of large uh, amount of uh, bibliographical references is that the word was used as early as 1920 uh, which corresponds to its first appearance in uh, um, not Turkish but French and probably all the Western and non-Western sources uh, in that case diplomatic sources where the word was uh, uh, used in rather derogatory terms also uh, with reference to uh, a partisan group uh, against uh, Istanbul and against the Allies. And what is striking is that the same word is still very much solicited today with regard to the main opposition party um, to the AKP, the GHP, uh, in the context of the municipal elections of 2019. So basically a century later. And, and of course, uh, like you said, the first reaction uh, when facing such a widely used, per-used maybe, and therefore complex term is probably to pluralize the notion, um, in other words, to make classifications, to slice Kemalism up, so to speak, into different political trends uh, or chronological chunks. And this is what we have uh, done based on the existing literature. For instance, uh, many political scientists talk about left-wing Kemalism as opposed to right-wing Kemalism or liberal Kemalism versus authoritarian Kemalism. And in some way, um, the intellectual history too has contributed to this process of complexification by attempting to identify the numerous uh, components, ingredients that make up the geneal genealogy of the, of th of the notion, uh, Western uh, or French liberalism, Ottomanism, popula populism, uh, narodnism, anti-imperialism, and also at the other end of the spectrum, social Darwinism, uh, fascism, and of course, corporatism, which is uh, the reference, uh, reference to the work of uh, uh, Tarpala and Andrew Davison, a classical work. Um, so this complexification has also gone through uh, a process or a procedure of periodization of Kemalism. For instance, um, if you look at uh, Hamid Bozarsan's work, there is mm -hmm. this layered uh, uh, understanding of Kemalism with first Kemalism being uh, until uh, 1925, second Kemalism starting with a more authoritarian kind of regime, uh, the one post-1925 with the settlement of the single-party regime and censorship. While uh, he argued the third Kemalism was uh, uh, the one uh, that would refer to a hardening or a radicalization of its ideology with enhanced secularism, ethno-racialism, um, but also uh, a, a stiffening of its actual uh, policies, political practices, especially with regard to what he names uh, the enemies of the states, the non-Muslim minorities and the non-Turkish minorities, particularly the Kurds. And these procedures clearly show that, that Kemalism is plural. Um, Periodization also is uh, producing contradictory uh, interpretations. Uh, for instance, uh, since the work of Eric Jan Zürcher, it has been um, exceedingly insisted on the fact that uh, uh, Kemalism was but a prolongation of young Turkism. Uh, 
and, and this is something that is already uh, widely accepted. But also it has been said that Kemalism as, as a concept or even as a cult of personality was more something that was uh, invented after the Second World War, and this is absolutely contradictory. And finally, there is this opposition between Kemalism uh, as something referring to the interwar as opposed to Ataturkism that would be, you know, post-1980 coup. Um, or uh, you have people who talk about post-Kemalism and who define it. For instance, Ilker Aytürk does po uh, elaborate on post-Kemalism in, in a famous article. We had a different approach. We thought that we had to look at the very making of the notion. And by looking at it, we needed to go back to the interwar. We needed to go back to the moment where the very word Kemalism, the very label Kemalism, was, so to speak, invented. And it's not to adopt a, con a purely constructivist approach by saying that Kemalism does not exist. It is rather to look at the social uh, constructions of a symbolic catch-all concept. Yeah, and I think it's very important. I mean, you highlight this uh, plurality at the same time, stressing that you focus on the interwar period. And in doing this, you also show that uh, Kemalism is a protean term that can refer to very different things at the same time. But it's also subject to transformation, and this goes hand in hand with the transformation not only of the state in Turkey, but also to uh, uh, references from um, abroad. And this uh, leads me to the second question that also refers to the subtitle of this collective work, I repeat, Transnational Politics in the Post-Ottoman World. So, in a way, you decided to reframe this notion, Kemalism, beyond, let's say, an internalist uh, interpretation. So, Kemalism results from circulations and connections with other contexts, and it is, uh, so to speak, a, a permeable uh, category. So how should we uh, figure out these uh, connections and these uh, circulations? Fabio, maybe you can say a few words about that. Yeah, definitely. And uh, maybe the best way of addressing your question is to say a few words on how we got there, how we got into this, sure. uh, yeah, to, to, to these artifacts in a way. Um, let's say at the very beginning, this uh, reflection uh, started as a conversation among uh, scholars of the Southeastern Europe. Well, uh, at the very beginning, the idea was to do um, some kind of cartography of Kemalism outside, outside Turkey. Um, there was a text that inspired us a lot at the very beginning of this uh, endeavor. A uh, special issue published by Iskander Gökalp and François Georgeon in uh, 1987, Kemalism et uh, monde musulman, so Kemalism and the Muslim world, that tried to, uh, yeah, to trace, to sketch uh, how uh, different actors in the Muslim world uh, appropriated, rejected, uh, domesticated this, this very notion of Kemalism. So what we wanted to do in a first moment was to, you know, uh, to foster, to develop this, this collective endeavor. Mm -hmm. uh, so to ask why uh, in certain, uh, in a specific, you know, locality or in a specific uh, time space became fashionable to talk about Kemalism. Who did this? And what the different actors uh, put uh, beyond the, behind the, the label Kemalism? Yes, uh, if I may, uh, starting from the Balkan, we decided to include also Turkey, but uh, other spaces, post-Ottoman spaces, mm -hmm. like Egypt or Cyprus. We, we were also inspired by uh, the transfer studies mm -hmm. or the, uh, the studies about uh, the knowledge uh, production, 
uh, and uh, Yudo Savoir. So I'm, I'm referring uh, to the work of um, François Jacob about the Lieu de Savoir. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we thought that uh, we have to take seriously the post-Ottoman space as a space where the Kemalist label was uh, created, was produced, circulated, was transformed, domesticated. Yeah. But it's not only that, because, uh, for example, Emmanuel already mentioned that maybe the first mention of the word Kemalist came from uh, West uh, European sources. So mm. it means that in the picture, we had also to include Western Europe. So the circulations yeah. that we had to study, mm -hmm. in fact, were yeah. complex circulations mm -hmm. between a post-Ottoman mm -hmm. space where Turkey has, of course, a central place and also Western uh, Europe. So compared to the former idea of the diffusion mm -hmm. of Kemalism from Turkey to other places, mm -hmm. here we are proposing mm. something else. Mm -hmm. It means that basically uh, Turkey was in the spotlight of this discussion, but it was not necessarily the epicenter, right, of all this, uh, uh, the elaboration of this of this uh, notion. And this also has a reflexive dimension, right, because you show that, of course, we have to open up the perspective to a broader space, but it also takes the effort, I mean, a collective effort and uh, how to bring together expertise that uh, is centered on different parts of that region so to have an exchange with uh, w with different historiographies also and after these general uh, remarks i am sure that we will also go a bit more into detail with some concrete examples um, and maybe we can take as a starting point the another very innovative um, element that you introduce in this collective world namely materiality so basically how ideas become objects and vice versa, how objects can contribute to shape ideas and cultural uh, references. So maybe we can elaborate a bit on this uh, uh, material aspect. Yes, uh, you're right to underline this in, in your question because Kemalism, it's not only a set of discourses, mm. it's also connected to the circulation of artifacts. Mm. For example, the press, uh, magazines, newspapers, illustrations, images are very important. The picture that we have, for example, uh, on the uh, cover of the um, uh, of the book, and that you will find on our website. Uh, yeah, the picture that you can see on the cover um, comes from uh, that's the cover of a book published in uh, interwar Yugoslavia in late 30s by a Muslim author. And uh, you see it's a collage of different pictures that are taken from the La Turquie Kemalist, uh, produced by the Ankara government as a kind of showcase of mm. the reforms implemented in Turkey at that time. So it's fascinating to see how uh, yeah, to explore these trajectories, mm. this circulation from, from you know, focusing on, on, on objects. We have also uh, the alphabet. Mm. So, and two of, uh, of the chapters, the one of uh, Beatrice Hendricks about Cyprus and the one of Anna Mirkova on uh, Bulgaria, 
are focused on this issue of mm. uh, of the alphabet uh, you have also uh, dresses so uh, the hat yeah. Uh, it was a big issue uh, during the interwar, mm -hmm. and uh, one of the chapter, the one on Egypt, focused mm. on uh, on this issue by Wilson Chaco Jacob. All Orientalist artifacts, uh, which were exhibited, for example, in a, a very uh, um, in the international exhibition, it's uh, something studied by uh, E.J. Zerman in her chapter. So. Really, all our chapters are focused yeah. on different artifacts, and I think that it is in this way mm. that we succeeded, or we tried at least, uh, to understand yeah. the circulations. Yeah, thank you, Natalie, also for introducing some aspects that we uh, will now uh, discuss uh, more in depth. Uh, because, I mean, when you were talking about the hat issue, so only for our listeners to, to make sure that they understand what we are talking about, you're referring to the uh, hat reform that was supposed to prohibit the usage of the fez, which was associated to the Ottoman period. So this is really an example of how a piece of cloth right could represent a whole change of the new state and another uh, aspect which is related also to the to the hat reform if you want is a new image a new representation of the body uh, and of gender roles i mean of course we can interpret this as a general shift not only the western world uh, but uh, fabio since this is also located in one of your uh, fields of uh, expertise maybe you can uh, introduce us to uh, the relevance of kemalism for this new perception of the body and of uh, gender roles as a matter of fact uh, the book has two chapters that are directly uh, related to gender issues. Uh, they form some kind of uh, diptych inside the, inside the book. There is a Wilson Chaco Jacob chapter uh, that addresses the place of Kemalism in the reshaping of masculinity in Egypt. And uh, my chapter that addresses the place of the Turkish reference in the reshaping of Muslim femininity in interwar uh, Yugoslavia. Mm -hmm. What I found fascinating in these uh, two chapters that I think they dialogue pretty well uh, is that uh, gender relations uh, appear to be a very powerful device in order to mm. uh, locate the community. Mm. I mean, in the Yugoslav case, the Muslim community, in, in the Egyptian case, the national community along a hierarchy, uh, you know, between... Uh, more civilized and less civilized mm. between a European and a non-European. Uh, I think that in the Yugoslav case, uh, especially for progressive people, so people that believed in the reform of Islam and the modernization of the Muslim co the Muslim population, of its habits, his his you know everyday practices, Kemalism became uh, some kinds of affordable modernity. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, modernity coming from the East, that's, that's pretty mm -hmm. interesting. Uh, Kemalism became really interesting for those actors because it really broke this uh, idea that Muslims are um, somehow uh, condemned to uh, backwardness. Mm -hmm. 
in this case, you know, the new implemented gender regime uh, implemented in Ankara was was seen as uh, even as a more European, even more advanced than than the, than the European in itself, mm. and it was considered as to prove that Muslims as well mm. could be modern. Yeah. And indeed, I mean, if we think of the research, for example, done by Sevgi Adak, we realize that this was not just a linear process, even in Turkey, right? There were uh, very uh, heated debates about uh, the veil uh, and so on. It, it could uh, play out very differently according to the locality. But you show that, I mean, there were echoes also outside the state. And in a way, it relates also to visibility in the public space and it also relates to the idea that one could i mean that for example muslims in the balkans uh, could adapt to new forms of uh, of uh, representation of the self in the public space without the feeling uh, of being uprooted or just being a subject to westernization for example but they could also look at their uh, or uh, eastern or southern uh, neighbor in the case of the republic of turkey yeah, correct. But what I try to show in my chapter, for instance, is that where I focus on the Napreñats, so on the, 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 the so-called progressives, mm. uh, Muslim progressives that that uh, strongly believed in the in the uh, Westernization as well of of the Muslim community in Yugoslavia, Kemal is in a way was some kind of. Um, very powerful synthesis for progressive Muslims in Yugoslavia, because it's f in one way it offered uh, female emancipation without feminism, and in the same time uh, was also seen as a synthesis between Islam and modernity. Mm. This is a very strong uh, theme that that uh, crosses all the sources that I, I, I could analyze. And again, if you have a look to the cover of our book. Uh, so this collage from late 30s produced by this Muslim progressive in Yugoslavia, you will see that in his collage, he, uh, you have, of course, uh, female bodies doing mm -hmm. exercises in the, in, the, in the public space. You have new housing. You have the map. Uh, you have uh, Mustafa Kemal, the monument of mm -hmm. Mustafa Kemal. But on the other side of the picture, you have a mosque. Mm -hmm. So uh, seen from Bosnia, uh, Kemalism and Islam were uh, very uh, compatible and they were reinforcing one another. If I may jump in, there's sure. something that it, that uh, what uh, Fabio is talking about that talks directly to Beatrice's uh, article or chapter. Uh, she has her, her chapter is about the technical and uh, administrative implementation of the romanization of the script in colonial mm -hmm. Cyprus, in British colonial Cyprus. And, and, uh, and she, uh, she shows that uh, uh, unlike what someone would expect, namely that the British would uh, incite the, the Turkish uh, uh, inhabitants of Cyprus into the Romanization, it was rather the Turks themselves, the Turkish community, who um, uh, embraced the project, the Kemalist project, but far from seeing it as a secularizing 
uh, operation, they saw it as a way to restore Islam, to strengthen Islam. And they stressed the importance of Islam uh, at the very moment they recommended the adoption of the, of the Roman script, of the Turkish script, so to speak, uh, because they saw in it a way to uh, 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 facilitate uh, the access of Muslims in general to modernity. And I think the same goes for many, many uh, Muslim uh, uh, areas where Kemalism was far uh, from being uh, uh, perceived as a secularizing uh, operation, mm -hmm. but rather as an operation that made Islam and, so to speak, modernity mm -hmm. compatible. Welcome back to the Ottoman History Podcast and the Southeast Passage. Andreas Guidi here talking to Nathalie Clayer, Fabio Jomi and Emmanuel Schurek about this edited book, uh, Kemalism, Transnational Politics in the Post-Ottoman World. Okay, so far uh, we discussed about the permeability of the notion of Kemalism and contacts with the post-Ottoman uh, world, but we should not neglect the fact that the construction of Kemalism also radically changed some aspects of uh, the own perception uh, within Turkey of, for example, intellectual actors. And this is what I would like to address in the, in the next question for you, Emmanuel, uh, knowing that also Orientalism um, is an intellectual discipline, but also as a set of representations it is at the center of your uh, research. I would like to know more about how uh, Turkish Republican cultural institutions experienced uh, a repositioning uh, toward uh, the European look on on Turkey, also in regards to the to the Ottoman past, and how they uh, mobilize, for example, linguistic but also racial uh, theories to to redefine this kind of subalternity vis-à-vis uh, -vis, uh, Europe. So, uh, I mean, is it also about transnational forms of cooperation, or is it? like a, a very uh, radically nationalist reaction to, to, to former uh, perceptions. So yes, it's both, because um, my chapter addressed the question of how Turkey uh, negotiated its place vis-à-vis uh, -vis the West uh, by uh, mobilizing science, and particularly uh, anthropology and linguistics. And I focused on uh, specifically on, on the sun language theory, this uh, exceedingly well-known theory, and yet uh, I, I thought uh, which deserved further uh, interpretation. Um, in fact, it's a criticism of Western diffusionism or hyper-diffusionism in the sense that um, um, just the same way we criticize uh, the way uh, Kemalism should not only understood as something that comes from Ankara and goes to the so-called periphery 
uh, where allegedly uh, remaining Turks uh, uh, were, um, I think that that we should not look at the sign language theory only as a reply mm. to um, what the West has produced about the Turks throughout the 19th and 20th century in terms of uh, downgrading the Turkish language or the Turkish race. Mm. Um, so basically, the you know the sign language theory and also the Turkish uh, history of thesis stated that. Um, the, the, the Turkish language was the original tongue of humanity and that the Turkish race had brought uh, civilization to the w entire world. And this is a, a, a theory or a double theory that was uh, propagated by two major uh, uh, Kemalist institutions. Kemalists here uh, implying the direct involvement of Mustafa Kemal in their very creation mm -hmm. in 1931 and 1932, namely the uh, uh, Institute of in Linguistics, Turgil Kurumu, and the Turk Tarih Kurumu, the Institute of History. And what I wanted to show is basically that, and it was a discussion with um, Ilker Aichurk's uh, famous article, uh, uh, Turkish Linguists Against the West. I, I like the idea of uh, against the West, and I agreed to it. And I agreed with, uh, with uh, Ilker that basically these theories which made the Turk a hero of humanity and the Turkish language the original tongue of humanity, this basic idea that it was a reply to Western racism was not sufficient. Mm. And that you, in the same way you need to rediscover uh, uh, the agency of Kemalism outside Turkey, you need to rediscover why what the Turks did in the 30s in Ankara was not exactly replying to the West, but inventing their own racism. Mm. So taking the racism of the Turks seriously. And this implied that you could not only uh, uh, interpret, which is partly, uh, is of course, uh, the sign language theory and the uh, Turkish uh, uh, thesis uh, of history as a mere uh, mimicry of mm -hmm. the West, but rather as something that was inventing its own ways of negotiating uh, 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 Turkish uh, predominance and uh, supremacy. And this is resumed so well in the title that you uh, chose for your chapter, right? Where you basically reversed the expression, uh, the sick man of Europe, which was applied to the late Ottoman Empire. And uh, so your chapter is called the man sick of Europe, right? So uh, this uh, involves the whole idea of not just reaction, but also reappropriation and innovation of some of some uh, theories. Um, now, I would like to move to perhaps a more uh, classical uh topic let's say the practices of governance after world war one and it is true that in this case turkey has often been compared uh sometimes in quite a, a rigid way sometimes in more flexible way with other realities such as the soviet union or uh, italy and other forms of uh, authoritarian uh, states so Natalie, maybe you can say a few words about uh, your chapter where you discuss the introduction of the civil code in Albania, right? And uh, how this is an example to, again, to situate Kemalism in this uh, post-Ottoman space. Yes, I, I decided to, um, to study this case, uh, the, 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 the introduction of the civil code in Albania in uh, uh, or between 25, 26 and 1928, mm -hmm. because at the beginning of this short period, so three, four years, we have the impression that the Albanian government is transferring, is uh, taking the, let's say, the Kemalist civil code. So uh, in 26, Turkey is adopting a new civil code mm -hmm. with uh, the Swiss civil code 
as a basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, and immediately after, so the, uh, the, the, the Albanian government decided also to adopt mm. a civil code. So here we have the impression that the, uh, the Kemalist Turkey is r- influencing very strongly the new uh, Albanian state. Mm. But in fact, it's more complicated because yeah. three years later, uh, a new code is mm. really uh, adopted, but with a ba- with as a basis the french civil code mm. and in between so we have so it's a case of non transfer yeah. in yeah. fact so very often we study the the cases of transfer here we have a case of non transfer mm-hmm. uh, and in fact we have to understand that uh, in this uh, process or non process we have uh, uh, the balance of power between mm. the field of jurisprudence mm-hmm the political field and so for some of the actors the the turkish or mm. the kemalist code which was as uh, let's say a copy of the of the swiss code was considered as a western code mm. in fact for uh, some actors it became a uh, an eastern code yeah. as a turkish code mm-hmm. so here we have the uh, so the west and the east could be um, reversed reversed exactly yeah. and uh, we, in fact there is the issue of language so mm. the issue of generation the issue of um, social and professional socialization yeah. because uh, most of the lawyers at that time in Albania, mm. in fact, had been educated in Istanbul at the end of the Ottoman Empire in the law faculty. So they had um, mm. an Ottoman education. The politicians also uh, were Ottomans, yeah. in fact. But uh, it's the non-transfer is mm. the result of this complex yeah in balance between these different fields or different uh, social professional groups mm. or mm. and this again makes the case against the monodirectionality or the linearity of whatever we call connections or transfers because if we change the perspective of the actors we see that this circulation could be interpreted in a very different way right and this is a kind of uh, refraction of uh, a game between the east and the west and then at the end of the day it all makes part of a very permeable space i would like to add something about that it, it, we, we we insisted on the fact that the frontiers are transformative they, they modify the message mm-hmm. um, but also what was very interesting is that as you very well said the the east-west entanglement was very complex for instance um, if we look at the, the construction of Kemalism as something revolving around a cult of personality and a way to synthesize uh, a set of reforms, a, a series of reforms, we can see that it was elaborated um, in, in, in Russia, 
first. Mm. Um, 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 Vaham Terbatevosian shows uh, in, in, one of, in, in an article that, that the first to conceptualize the Kemalist revolution were actually Soviet uh, observers in, from the uh, embassy of, uh, uh, Soviet embassy in Ankara. So we have this process of uh, theorization of Kemalism that comes from abroad that is reappropriated in Turkey in the early 30s and reconstructed as Kemalism mm -hmm. in Turkish and in Turkey. And then what happens is that it goes on and on. Mm. Uh, for example, you look at the press, at the Turkish press in the 30s, it always refers to uh, articles published mm. in the West or mm. anywhere else referring to Kemalism. In other words, the, the, the Turks look at how yeah. the Westerners and other people look at them mm. and theorize them. And this very classical process of uh, construction of identity yeah. of the self mm. is, is, is very well uh, encapsulated by, by this example of people mirroring yeah, exactly. one another. Yeah. Yeah. Eje Zerman in her chapter used uh, the term gaze. So the mm. gaze of the West, for example, is very important in her case. Yeah, it's always about observing and being observed at the same time. Um, so maybe now we can uh, focus a bit more on some uh, continuities. Uh, that can emerge from uh, your work because I, I repeat once again you you uh, mostly analyze the interwar period but I am sure that uh, thoughts emerging from uh, the chapters uh, can also somehow uh, be inspiring for analyzing the reality after World War II and maybe even until today so who would like to sum it up in a nutshell well, it's difficult because, of course, the subject is very wide and this was not the, the, the central topic of our book and our, our own scholarships. What I would just like to say is a reference, I would like to give a reference to Ilke Eichirk's article uh, uh, and, and, and reflection on uh, post-Kemalism in an article that he himself labeled post-post-Kemalism. Um, to be honest, uh, Ilke Eichirk never pretended that, that he was going to define something as post-post-Kemalism. Mm -hmm. He was just wondering what would come after that. Uh, what he did is defining and conceptualizing and hardening something which already existed, but he, which he thematized better, which is post-Kemalism. What is what post-Kemalism is made of, and it is something that, uh, in 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 his eyes, uh, 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 needs to be uh, uh, left behind. Um, in the same time, the very fact that he would use the concept of post-post-Kemalism, even ironically, shows how enduring and how mm -hmm. uh, uh, strong is the grasp of this very concept or very series of letters, K-E-M-A-L, on our way of conceptualizing and reconceptualizing Turkey, the Turkish society, the Turkish revolution, by equating still and on and on uh, um, uh, a, a, a set of uh, uh, symbolic reference with uh, the history of a country. Uh, of course, I, Iker is very well aware of that, but I think that we as historians, and I'm speaking here as historians of Turkey, need to think how, how heavy the grass peel still is, at least in terms of uh, 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 discourse, uh, of Kemalism upon mm. our, our own scholarship. And this is what we have tried to uh, conceptualize in the book as uh, uh, um, methodological Kemalism. In other words, the tendency of, of scholars to name things, period, mm. um, uh, uh, people, uh, reforms, with reference to the great man. Mm. And I, 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 I believe that this is something that's still to be, uh, that is still to be worked on. Yes, I, I think that... Uh, <coughs> It's in the same way that uh, the reflexivity about uh, methodological nationalism 
has been very important in the last decades. I think that if we are not sufficiently reflexive in using and studying such a label as uh, Kemalism, we uh, we miss uh, things. And I think that uh, other endeavors like our are necessary to understand more how entangled mm -hmm. are the uh, the nation building processes in the region. I think that it's Anna Mirkova in her chapter, in the conclusion of her chapter, she, she said that uh, uh, in a way uh, we can grasp much better these entanglements. Yeah, uh, as a Balkanist, probably uh, this book helps me to think circulation beyond the you know the east-west divide mm. uh, always when we study circulations in 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 east, i mean in departments of uh eastern european studies balkan studies it's always a west and east a progressive and a backward etc well putting turkey in the picture uh shows me how more complex this 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 network of gazes is uh, and not just in the interwar period uh, if you think uh, nowadays to the what is always called you know uh, neo-ottoman mm -hmm. strategy of the right. turkish government it's uh, somehow appreciated rejected uh, on the ground in the balkan ground the mm. one that i know better tells you how turkey is its present is and, and it has to be in the picture Mm -hmm. Well, so uh, let me thank you once again for joining our podcast, uh, Natalie, Fabio and Emmanuel. Thank you very much. It has been really a pleasure. Yeah, thank you for having us, for inviting us. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. And let me remind our listeners uh, the title of this uh, edited book, Kemalism, Transnational Politics in the Post-Ottoman World. It came out at the end of 2018. By the time you listen to this episode, it should be available in the nearest library or bookstore. So uh, we hope that could make you curious about the very rich content of this edited book. Let me also remind you that you can find another episode on Kemalism that we recorded with Eric Jan Zürcher a few uh, months ago both on the Ottoman History podcast and on the Southeast Passage. And you can also download it as well as uh, all the other episodes on uh, iTunes. And if you want, you can also join us on uh, Facebook. Both podcasts have their own uh, page and community where you can interact with other listeners. And um, on the website, you will also find some uh, visual material that we will upload and uh, a short bibliography if you want to read uh, more about uh, this topic. Uh, apart from that, of course, stay tuned for more exciting episodes coming up soon. This was all for today. So take care.